Wow. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Now, there's a thing you're supposed to say. So uh, you might not be used to it, but here we go. So I say Christ is risen. You're going to say something else. You're going to say he is risen indeed. Okay. Uh, we won't bother with the practice. We'll just go for it. Okay. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We are gathering here today celebrating the physical, the historical, the the very fleshy, real resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we are doing this with millions, I'd probably say billions, of other Christians around the world. We are not, it's not just us, it's not just Alan, it's not, it's not just the elders here. We are gathered throughout this whole world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. He was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. And this, this what we're celebrating, it is the apex of the whole Bible. It is where everything is looking to. The Old Testament looked and they saw that there was a problem in this world. The problem was sin. And there was a need for a sacrifice. And everything was shadowed and some things were a bit more explicit. And then Jesus comes and he dies and he's witnessed to. And the rest of the New Testament explains just what was that? What did happen? And here we are celebrating that Jesus has conquered death. He's conquered death. It's like a shadow over this world. He has conquered it. He has conquered it. He has trampled it into the ground. And that's something that we all kind of live with. We all live with this shadow. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've wondered about it. Uh, I, I, As a kid, I remember, I remember very distinctly, I wasn't a Christian. I remember lying in bed and wondering about death, just wondering What's on the other side? What happens when you die? And I came up with this super plan. It was, it was quite good. I thought, well, okay, I, if I can somehow get a, I'll pass on a message to the person who I think is most likely to die. And, and I made this calculation. Well, okay, it's probably someone old. So I think it's my granddad, my, my great granddad, actually. He's pretty old. He was pretty old. Somehow, if I get a message to him and he dies and he can come back and tell me what it's like after death. And I was like, great, that's a great plan. And then I thought, there's a problem in my plan. (laughs) I don't know anyone that's ever come back from death. Even if he wants to say something, how could he? He's dead. But Jesus is not. Jesus is not. The Bible does talk about, talks about death. We'll go on to it. We will go on to it. But there is there are some interesting instances. There are a couple of people that never saw death. That's uh, in the Old Testament. And then there are other people that are that die, but they are resurrected. Three instances in the Old Testament, and then more in the New. But these people that died and then came back, it was a temporary resurrection for them. It was short-lived. And that's it. That's a good pun. Thank you very much. It was a short-lived resurrection. These people, Lazarus, he died again. Jairus's um, daughter died again. The the son uh, of the widow at Nain, who Jesus resurrected, died again. But when Jesus comes back from the grave, he comes back never to die again. It's not just it's not just a, a, a kind of a resuscitation. It's a reversal. It's literally going backwards into something else that's never been there before. Now, in preparing for this sermon, we're actually going to look at the passage that, 
that Alan read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15. But I had a look at the book of Acts, at the different sermons that people were preaching there. And when, the interesting thing is, they all of them, bar, I think maybe one or two, they all mention the resurrection. When, when Peter starts preaching in Pentecost, and then at the temple, and then the rulers, and then at the house of Cornelius, he always mentions the resurrection. And when Paul, when he's preaching as well, when he preaches on his journeys and, and then in his trials, he's always mentioning the resurrection. See, the early church, they knew that everything hangs on the resurrection. It's not just an extra. It is the bedrock upon which we stand. It is the bedrock. And everyone knew. The, the people that were listening to their sermons, they knew that the centerpiece of this sermon, the centerpiece of what Christians are saying, is that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Now, they might not have liked it. They might not have agreed with it. But they understood that Christians, what are Christians about? Christians are about saying, there is a man called Jesus, and he's not dead anymore. They understood that. Right at the end of Acts, when uh, when Paul is being introduced by by Festus to King Agrippa. He's saying, well, why is this man in prison? Well, he's in prison, but there's some disagreements on doctrine. And he says, a certain man, Jesus, is alive. So the the people that were listening, they understood the resurrection was central to Christianity. And that's a challenge for us. Because I wonder if when we look into the world, if we ask them, hey, what do Christians believe? They'll come up with some good stuff, I'm sure. They'll say, well, Christians believe that you should love one another. Jesus taught that. That's true. But will the first thing that they say be, oh, Christians, they're slightly odd. They believe that a man 2,000 years ago was crucified on a cross and came back to life. Will they say that? And that's a challenge for us because that is what we're saying. It was a hard thing for the Jews to hear. Not because they disagree with the, the resurrection in itself, but for them, it wasn't going to be one person getting raised from the dead. There was a resurrection. It was going to be everyone all at once. So when the Christians are saying, here's Jesus, he's died, he's now raised, they were like, no, 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 that can't be the case. The kingdom of God hasn't come in its fullness. That can't be the case. For the Greeks, they didn't like the idea of a resurrection either, because for them, the whole idea of, of spiritual freedom was that you leave the body behind. The body is not a good thing. It's a prison that you want to be free from. The resurrection, that makes no sense at all. And so when, at the end of Paul's sermon in Athens, when he mentions the resurrection of the dead, then they sneered at him. Well, what, about, what about people in the Northeast? What about us in our community? What about them? How do they receive the idea of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, we're in a, in a community that's built upon scientific knowledge. And scientific knowledge is very keen on things that are observable, testable, repeatable, universal. And that is a challenge when we are dealing with a historical fact that only happens once. Because God is saying to us, you believe in this. And, and we might be saying, well, hang on, I want to test this. Maybe this could happen every year. Maybe Jesus could be crucified and resurrected every year. Give me a couple of years, and then I'll say, yes, I believe in it. Do you see? And God says, no. 
It happens once in history. He dies once. He is raised once. I give you my witnesses. I tell you about it in scripture. Now believe. Now believe. You're not going to get, it's not going to be in in a laboratory examined again and again. Just trust me. He gives us enough. He gives us enough to believe in him. There's a great quote from uh, a guy called Pascal, who was also a scientist. And he said this. He said, God is willing to appear openly to those who seek him with all their heart and to be hidden from those who flee from him with all their heart. He's given indications of himself which are visible to those who seek him and not to those who don't seek him. There's enough light for those who see, who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. So when you apply that to the resurrection, well, there's enough evidence, folks, to say, yes, this happened. But if you really don't want to look hard, you can turn away. And people do. Not with good explanations, but they can turn away. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us? Well, I'm going to say three points. I love three points. But the, uh, the, the one point is it means everything for us. Everything hangs on this. Everything hangs on it. Paul, in his letter, 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a church. And the church is starting to get a bit fuzzy around the edges on the, on the subject of the resurrection. Some of them are saying, really? Really? The resurrection? Okay, how could this possibly be? And Paul is saying, well, I, I did preach this message when I was around. I did preach the resurrection. You did believe in the resurrection. That was the basis of your salvation, remember? And now he's writing to them again. And he's writing and he's saying, this is so important. So let's read. Well, I'll read it and you can follow it on the screen. So, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me didn't prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he hasn't been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we've been found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if in fact the dead aren't raised. For if the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, We're of all men to be pitied. But, and this is great, 
I'm glad there's a but. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Praise God. So I've got three points. So uh, you can follow. When I get to two, you can see where I'm going. And three, it's near the end. So firstly, Paul wants to remind them this, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the solution to our biggest problems of sin and death. It's the biggest problem that we have. Christ died for our sins of first importance. Now, if I go into Durham and I pick someone off the street and I ask them, hey, tell me, what is the biggest problem in, you can say the world, maybe narrow down to your life, but what's the biggest problems that you see? They're going to say, well, maybe climate change. They're going to say the war in Ukraine. They're probably going to say choosing heating or eating. They're going to say, you know, money is just evaporating out of my hands. They're going to say these things. I would hazard a guess. Maybe some more. Maybe you want to add something in. Not now. But they're probably not going to say, well, you know what? The biggest problem in my life is sin. I feel separated from God and I'm going to die. Can you do that? Can you do anything with that? I'm going to die. That's my problem. You know, the, the government has yet to invent a ministry of death to, to sort out people dying. They, they can't really do that. But that is, that is really the issue that Paul is saying is fundamental to our lives. Sin and death. He didn't mention taxes. He was happy for us to pay taxes. Sin and death. But there is this presumption that society is always progressing. And in one sense, that's true. We grow in knowledge. If you have an iPhone, you probably got a later one than you did earlier, whatever that is. You know, technology grows, it, it develops. You can have ro- rockets that land vertically. Amazing. You couldn't do that 10 years ago. So some things progress, but some things don't. And the human heart does not progress. When you look at Europe, we see a war in Ukraine, and so many of the people that are interviewed... They say this. They say, I could never have imagined this happen. I could never have imagined. This was inconceivable that this would happen. Why? Because they didn't recognize that the human heart is still sick, still terribly sick. And that in a moment, we can turn to being just like Cain, right at the, at the, at the beginning of the Bible, who killed his brother who killed his brother. And here we have this happening in Europe. It's just, it's an unveiling of what is not fixed in our hearts. What is not fixed, what is not fixed is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These things, these moral issues aren't fixed. However good your iPhone is, and I'm sure you've got good iPhones, it doesn't make your moral life any different. You still struggle with that. And Paul sees the cross and the resurrection as two parts of one whole. And this means that we have forgiveness of sins. That our faith isn't worthless. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, what have we got? We've got a nice teacher. Good teachings, great teachings, but just a nice teacher. Maybe we could say we've got a prophet like Moses, like Elijah, a good leader. Yeah, we could. But without the resurrection, he's still dead in the ground. He's not leading you anywhere. He's dead in the ground. 
Moses isn't leading us anywhere. He's dead. David, King David, isn't leading us anywhere. He's dead. If he's just dead in the ground, that's all it is. Without the resurrection, we have no assurance that the cross really works. When Jesus dies, he says, it is finished. If he'd stay dead, would you have believed that? Or would you have thought, well, it's just another person who's died tragically, but he's still dead. When Jesus comes back from the dead, it's like this. So imagine, and I know this, uh, this is a banking illustration, as in a physical bank. I know we have internet banking and stuff, but bear with me. Imagine you've got a debt, a big debt, uh, thousands of pounds, and you, are, you have to go to the bank physically, to your bank manager. Uh, maybe you don't know you have a bank manager. I don't know one. But you have to go to the bank manager, and, then, and you're there, and you have to walk in through these doors. And your friend comes and says, hey, no, 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 wait. You stay here. I'll go in. I'll pay it for you. That's great. And your friend goes in through those doors. And you're, what are you doing? You're, you're waiting outside, fidgeting. You know, is he really, is that serious? You know. Now, when was the debt paid? You don't really know when that debt was paid. But how do you know that it was paid when he comes outside again? Comes out through the doors, you know, smiling, cheering. <laughs> He comes out through the doors, and that's when you know that your debt was paid. This is like, it's like um, if you book a ticket for anything nowadays, you book it online, what do you expect to come next? You expect an email confirmation, don't you? And if you don't get it, you're wondering, did this, did this really work? I'm, I'm trying to go to you know, London on the train. I'm not getting any confirmation. Am I really? Do I have a ticket? The email confirmation is what gives you a confidence. Jesus' resurrection tells us, yes, he died on the cross for our sins. And yes, it really was paid. It really was paid. It's not just optimism. It was really paid. So when we pray, Father, forgive us our sins, our sins are forgiven. They really are forgiven. We really are cleansed cleansed from the depths of our heart. Praise God. This is God saying, I've paid everything. I've paid for the sin of the world. Just so you know. Just so you know. Trust in me. Well, secondly, he wants them to be confident that there are witnesses. We can have confidence in the resurrection. So then Paul goes through this long list. He's like rattling them out. He's trying to say, it's not a clever story. I didn't try to make this up. There are people who saw Jesus walking around. A lot of people, actually. A whole bunch of them went through the list. And the list isn't even complete. He doesn't list the women, if you notice. Why doesn't he put them in? Maybe it's because at the time, the testimony of women wasn't regarded in society. So maybe he thought, I don't need to. But it's interesting that the gospel writers do because they're going through a bigger story of Jesus' life and they put it in, these women coming to the tomb, because they did come to the tomb. My point is, there is no good reason for them to put women as testimony unless it really was true. It was to their detriment, really, 
to have women as the witnesses to the resurrection. There is no good reason for the women to be the witnesses recorded in the Gospels unless they really were there, unless they really did see him. It's to the contradiction of the whole argument, but it's there in all the Gospels. When Peter preaches in the house of Cornelius, he says that God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should be visible not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is us. You ate and drank with him when he rose from the dead. Witnesses. He says, I'm a witness. There are many other witnesses. We, we ate and drank. Do you remember when in Luke it says Jesus came amongst them and he, he was hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him some fish. Not to be found in Alan's house. No. Jesus appears to Alan. Any fish? Sad. But he ate the fish. He ate it, leaving the bones on the plate. We ate and drank with him. You don't eat and drink with a, with a ghost. You don't eat and drink with someone who's dead in the grave. You eat and drink with someone who's alive, with your friends. But this word witness, it's translated as, as martyrs. And from that, we get the, the English word martyr. And all of these guys, apart from John, they're, they're all saying to, to, to the world, we believe in Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And the Romans and others are saying, oh, really? Well, you will die for that. You will die for that. But saying that you're going to die, are you sure you want to say that? And they say, well, yes, there's nothing else. How can we deny what we've seen? We can't deny what we've seen. And they die. They die as witnesses to the resurrection. And that should tell us something. People don't die casually. They don't die for something they've made up. They die for the truth. They die for things that are important. And another witness that is kind of here is that the church itself is a witness to the resurrection. There was a group of people, they're terrified, they're afraid that the Romans are going to come after them, and suddenly these terrified people become this society that's like full of confidence, full of life, and suddenly these, these Jewish people now are, are deciding to meet not on, a, not on a Saturday that they always have done. They, they change their day of the week to Sunday. Hang on a second. That's like, that's like a football game changing from Saturday to Friday. And you think, if that was to happen in England, suddenly all of the British football becomes, we don't do Saturday anymore, we do Friday. People would say, why? People would say, why? And so you have this, this idea of the, the physical, the presence of the church is also shouting out, something's happened here, something's happened. And uh, one theologian, a guy called Charles Moore, he says this. He says, the coming into existence of the Nazarenes, that's the Christians, a phenomenon undeniably attested in the New Testament, rips a giant, a great hole in history, a hole the size and the shape of the resurrection. What does the secular historian propose to stop it up with? The birth and the rapid rise of the Christian church remains an unsolved enigma. For any historian, he refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself. So the point is, look, this church, it's making, it's saying something. It's saying there's a resurrection here. What's your explanation? Why were these people so changed? Paul says it's according to the scriptures as well. The scriptures in the Old Testament that point forward and say something's coming down the line. 
And when Peter's preaching, he preaches from, from the, one of the Psalms, Psalm 16. And there it says, David is, is speaking in that Psalm. He says, you won't allow your Holy One to decay. And Peter says, ah, oh, that's interesting in his, in his sermon. I'm slightly paraphrasing, but it's like, uh, David did decay. Yeah, let's go and dig him up and have a look. He didn't say that, but you know, let's go and dig him up and have a look. And the answer is, well, he decayed. He's talking about someone else. There's someone else, and this is Jesus. Another witness, not mentioned here, but Martin Luther mentions it. I think it's handy. Is the witness of the adversaries. So the people, the, the people who are against them. Nobody said, this tomb is full of the body of Jesus. Everyone accepted the tomb is empty. Why it's empty? What happened? No one else could say. But the authorities, they accepted the tomb is empty. And lastly, the last witness, it's not on Paul's list, but I think it's a good one, is the witness of the Holy Spirit. When, when Peter is uh, preaching, he says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So none of us here, none of us were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit was. And we can ask, oh Lord, show us. I'm not so sure. Show us. Show us. Holy Spirit, teach me who he is. Thirdly, remember thirdly, what's that mean? Thirdly, he wants them to know it's worth spending your life on. You know, when he says, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep have perished. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. He wants to provoke them. He wants to needle them. If you're really, if you're not really believing in this stuff, you should be pitied. Because you're, you're basing your life on something that's not really true, is what he's kind of saying, if that's the way you're thinking. But the, the reverse is true as well, isn't it? We believe in the resurrection. We're not to be pitied. We, we know who he is. And this makes so much sense. The resurrection is not, it's not like a mental checklist. You're not saying, yeah, I believe in the resurrection like I believe that that pineapple doesn't go on pizza. Or I believe that Star Wars is the greatest film ever. I, I don't believe that actually. But it's, it's not like, it's not like a, uh, it's not without implication. We believe in the resurrection. If you believe in the resurrection, it, it becomes the cornerstone of your life. And everything now fits around it. You've been building your life brick, 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 brick in one way. You believe in the resurrection. Boom, here's a cornerstone. We're going to take these bricks and we're going to build them again around something else. Your entire life goes like this when you believe in the resurrection. Because suddenly, here's someone who has raised from the dead. And that means he's got every authority to say something to you. And, and we listen to him. See, Paul was keen to bring these Corinthians back. They were drifting away. Because if you think, oh, there wasn't really resurrection, well, it doesn't matter how I live, I can live how I want. Paul is saying, there is a resurrection. It matters how you live. It matters what we do with our bodies. It matters the way we behave. It matters 
Because with the resurrection, we have a Lord, Jesus. Jesus not was Lord. Maybe they would have said that if he'd stayed in the ground. Jesus not was Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. You say he is Lord because he's alive. You know, we can drift in, in our spiritual lives, and that's why it's great, personally, I think, to celebrate, celebrate Easter in this way every year. Really, Easter is a daily celebration, isn't it? We're daily walking with Christ. But it's good to kind of bring our attention back and think, yes, there is a resurrection. Jesus did rise from the dead. Because it stops us drifting. And we can drift so easily. We drift in this world. We kind of suck up all that the world teaches us. And the world teaches us about Easter, bunnies and chocolates. I'm not against either of those. I'm fine. But more fundamentally, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He's Lord. So I've got one last, I've got one last, one verse. And then I've, I've, uh, I didn't personally prepare it, but I have it. Hopefully have it. I've got a video, uh, uh, just really short that I'm going to show you. And then we're going to have the band come back in and then we're going to finish. But this last verse says this. When, when Paul's writing to the Romans, he's telling them how they should live their life. And he says this, framing everything in the resurrection. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. This is who we're talking about. And I I know you can't see him. And I know that he is in heaven, but he is alive. He is real. My prayer is that each one of us here, not only here, around this world, that we will know that Jesus is alive by the witness of his Holy Spirit, trusting in the witnesses that we have enshrined in Scripture, trusting in the witness that we have in the Old Testament, these prophecies that have been fulfilled, recognizing that he is the only solution. This death and resurrection is the only solution to our most fundamental problem. But it is a solution. We are saved. We are rescued. We are forgiven. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a video. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you that it is your word. It is your testimony to us. Lord, stamp it on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I really like it. It's a nice video. I think it kind of sums up all that happens. It's this reversal of everything, but it's for us, ultimately. We're going to respond in the the time that we have left. Uh, Worship team. Worship team. Worship team. Okay, we're going to... One of the the guys are going to lead us in worship. Let's all of us stand. Let's all of us engage in that. But really, uh, it's a good time, isn't it, to kind of ponder and think, well, because the end of that video was like, will you follow me? Will you follow me? And I'm sure there are, there are some of us here, and you, maybe that's the question you're asking. Should I? Should I follow Jesus? Obviously, I'm going to say, yes, <laughs> you should. But for, uh, for that, 
it means that we have to do something. And one way is just to come out, come out to the front. I'm going to hang around here. Come and have a chat with me. Come and say, actually, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want my life to be his. The rest of us, let's just rejoice, celebrate in all that he does.